SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yiridamarang, hello, I'm your host Luana Grant and welcome to NITV Radio for this Friday the 14th of July. Coming up on the program today, a conversation with TV personality and chef Mark Olive. He chats to NITV Radio about the opening of his new restaurant Midden by Mark Olive at the iconic Sydney Opera House. Also coming up on today's show, a story by SBS News, explaining what exactly is The Voice and what are the arguments for and against it. And NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandami chats to Wiradjuri man Duncan Smith, author of We Are Australians, which has been shortlisted for a Karajia Award, celebrating excellence in children's literature by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander authors and illustrators who honour connection to country and tell stories exploring land, community, culture and language. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. They've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, Minister for Indigenous Australians Linda Burney says the government has taken note of the needs of the Indigenous communities of Western Australia. The organisation representing general practitioners in Australia announces support for the voice to Parliament. And Philip Lowe to be replaced as head of the Reserve Bank. Minister for Indigenous Australians Linda Burney says the government has taken note of the needs of Indigenous communities of Western Australia. It comes after a meeting between Indigenous leaders from across the state with Ms Burney and Acting Prime Minister Richard Miles on Thursday at the Yule River. The meeting is part of Ms Burney's tour of Western Australia to inform people about the upcoming Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum. Ms Burney says the First Nations people have made their concerns heard. We've listened to the call for action, which was a very well-articulated call for things like well-being, education, health, community safety, um, and that was very important for us to hear at the federal level as well as the uh, state level as well. The latest Closing the Gap annual data indicates overachieving outcomes in a few areas and worsening outcomes in others for Indigenous people. The report by the Productivity Commission shows only four of the 19 Closing the Gap targets are on track to be met. 
Minister for Indigenous Australians Linda Burney says the report indicates need for change in approach. Ms Burney believes that the success of the referendum on a First Nations voice will help to close the gap. The organisations representing general practitioners in Australia has become the latest medical body to announce its support for the voice to parliament. The Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, or RACGP, has released a statement yesterday saying that the constitutional recognition for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples will help improve Indigenous health outcomes and reduce health inequality. RACGP President Dr Nicole Higgins says the voice will have a key impact on healthcare decisions. Healthcare for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders isn't merely the absence of disease. It is also looking at the social determinants of health, whether that be employment, education, and where and how these services are delivered. By having a seat at the table, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples will have a much bigger say about how health is delivered in their community. Ukraine has received cluster munitions less than a week after the United States announced it would transfer the widely banned weapons to Ukrainian forces. A spokesman from the Travia Military Command in southern Ukraine has confirmed a CNN report the Travia forces had just received cluster munitions but had not used them yet. The US announced a week ago it would send Ukraine cluster munitions as part of a $1.2 billion security package intended to ensure Russian forces that invaded Ukraine nearly 17 months ago cannot halt a Ukrainian counteroffensive. Cluster munitions are prohibited by more than 100 countries, including Australia. Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe's term won't be extended. Mr Lowe is to be replaced when his seven-year contract ends in mid-September. An official announcement is expected from Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers after today's Cabinet meeting. Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles has spoken to the Nine Network. We're going through our processes in relation to that position, Um, but uh, the the Reserve Bank obviously has a fundamentally important role to play and has had, um, and we want to make sure, which we've done with the Reserve Bank, review that it's operating in the best possible way. Meanwhile, opposition leader Peter Dutton told the Today Show he believes any replacement will need to be independent. That's an absolute uh, essential criteria. You can't have somebody who uh, is in the pocket of the Treasurer uh, or the Finance Minister. You can't have somebody who is uh, tainted uh, by an association or a friendship. As children around Australia prepare to head back to school, health officials are raising concerns about low uptake of the flu vaccine. Just 35% of children are vaccinated nationwide. An 11-year-old girl in Queensland died in hospital with the virus, the second confirmed death of a child with the influenza in the past week. Director of the National Centre for Immunisation, Research and Surveillance and paediatrician Professor Christine McCartney told the Seven Network this strain of the flu is causing serious disease. We're really encouraging children to be vaccinated at the moment. It's not at all expensive to pop into your chemist or GP for older children as well. All of those who have medical conditions, are Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander, pregnant or over 65 can also get a free flu vaccine. So it's really important before school goes back at this time to, to take up the vaccine for you and your child. 
The Screen Actors Guild of America is set to officially join the writers' strike. The American Labor Union represents over 160,000 performers, including television actors, journalists and radio personalities, who are expected to join the picket line. Actors will demand better pay conditions from streaming services and a pledge that artificial intelligence won't replace actors. Actress from the 1990s sitcom The Nanny and SAG president Fran Drescher says performers are being victimised by a greedy entity. I am shocked by the way the people that we have been in business with are treating us. I cannot believe it, quite frankly. How far apart we are on so many things. How they plead poverty, that they're losing money left and right when giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. It is disgusting. Shame on them. And in AFL, the Sydney Swans have narrowly defeated the Western Bulldogs 78-76. to It was Sydney's Tom Papley who kicked the winning goal at the 22-minute mark, bringing a thrilling end to coach John Longmire's 300th game as coach. Longmire says it was a terrific win. We've had a couple of close ones go against us, so um, it was good when the siren went. It was 10 seconds ago, I think, with that stoppage over the other side there, and... Um, um, you know, we've, we've, we found a way. It was, um, no, it was fantastic. The boys were terrific, which was great. The result leaves the team just one game outside of the top eight. And now a look at today's weather. Perth, showers easing 17. Adelaide, mostly sunny 17. Melbourne, wind easing, partly cloudy 15. Hobart, a shower or two, 16. Albury, Wodonga, partly cloudy, 15. Canberra, also partly cloudy, 15. Wollongong, mostly sunny, 21. Sydney, mostly sunny, 22. Newcastle, mostly sunny, 22. Brisbane, partly cloudy, 23. Townsville, partly cloudy, 27. Cairns, a shower or two, 27. Alice Springs, sunny, 25. Darwin, sunny, 32. And the Torres Strait Islands, windy, mostly sunny, 30. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Still to come on the program, a conversation with TV personality and chef Mark Olive. He chats to NITV Radio about the opening of his new restaurant, Midden by Mark Olive, at the iconic Sydney Opera House. And NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandami chats to Wiradjuri man Duncan Smith, author of We Are Australians, which has been shortlisted for a Karajia Award. But first, later this year, Australians will take part in a referendum where they will be asked to vote yes or no in answer to the following question. Do you support a change to the Constitution to recognise the First Peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice? But what exactly is the voice and what are the arguments for and against it? In 2017, 250 Indigenous leaders from around the country gathered at Uluru. There, they formulated and endorsed the Uluru Statement from the Heart. This simple yet poetic set of words called for three things, voice, treaty and truth. 
Here is a member of the Referendum Council, Professor Megan Davis, reading part of the statement for the first time on the red dirt floor of the Convention. We seek constitutional reforms to empower our people and take a rightful place in our own country. When we have power over our destiny, our children will flourish. They will walk in two worlds and their culture will be a gift to their country. We call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution. It's taken six years, but Australia is now being asked to vote on this request to alter the Constitution. In just a few months, Australians will be asked to vote yes or no in answer to the question. Do you support a change to the Constitution to recognise the First Peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice? But what exactly is the voice? According to the government's First Nations referendum working group, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice would be... A permanent body to make representations to the Australian Parliament and the Executive Government on legislation and policy of significance to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. It will further the self-determination of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples by giving them a greater say on matters that affect them. Pat Anderson is a member of the Referendum Working Group. She says the voice is needed because Australia must do better when it comes to its First Peoples. It's a universal truism that when you involve people that you're making decisions for, you make better decisions and you better allocation of all the resources that are required. This is fundamental to any democracy. And you know Australia is one of the few liberal democracies in the world that does not have any arrangement, any settlement with its First Peoples. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has consistently said the referendum is about two things, recognition and consultation. And he says he's confident that achieving this will help close the gap in Indigenous disadvantage. And we urgently need better outcomes because it's not good enough where we're at in 2023. On every measure, there is a gap between the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and the national average. A 10-year gap in life expectancy, a suicide rate twice as high, tragic levels of child mortality and disease, a massive overrepresentation in the prison population, in deaths in custody, in children sent to out-of-home care. And this is not because of a shortage of goodwill or good intentions on any side of politics, and it's not because of a lack of funds. It's because governments have spent decades trying to impose solutions from Canberra rather than consulting with communities. The idea of a voice is far from a new concept. According to Reconciliation Australia, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders have been calling for a political voice in one form or another for close to a century. The Minister for Indigenous Australians, Linda Burney, says the voice is part of the unfinished business of reconciliation. She says it should be honoured for the simple reason that it's what Indigenous leaders have asked for after an exhaustive and thorough process that was initiated by the government. The unfinished business of our failure to recognise Indigenous Australians who had coexisted on this continent for more than 65 
thousand years. Now, 122 years after the Australian Constitution was formed, more than 80 years since William Cooper uh, had his petition, 35 years since the Barunga Statement, 30 years since Keating's Redfern speech, 16 years since John Howard promised a referendum to recognize, for recognition, 15 years since the apology, 13 years since the expert panel on constitutional recognition, and six years, everyone, since the Uluru Statement from the heart. The question must surely be asked, how much longer to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have to wait for recognition? When will we finally resolve this unfinished business? So why does the voice need to be enshrined in the Constitution? The Indigenous leaders involved argue that constitutional recognition alone is merely symbolic. They say enshrining the voice in the Constitution will ensure it cannot be influenced or abolished by any future government, as previous advisory groups such as ATSIC were. Opponents argue it could simply be legislated for, as previous bodies have. But Marcia Langton, an architect of The Voice and member of the referendum working group, says this has been tried before and failed. Each one of us here has been involved in a major initiative, the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, the inquiry into the forced removal of Aboriginal children from their families, um, the Dondale Royal Commission... Uh, I could go on and on. And in each case, we have doggedly recommended changes to stop the deaths, the incarceration, the early deaths and the miserable lives. And it is so infrequently that our recommendations are adopted. This is why we cannot report on many improvements in the closing the gap indicators. And each year people like you come along to listen to that misery fest and each year people go away wringing their hands. We're here to draw a line in the sand and say this has to change, people's lives have to improve and we know from the evidence that what improves people's lives is when they get a say and that's what this is about. And why does the voice come before the Uluru Statement's call for treaty and truth? Advocates say it's because to achieve a treaty, the government needs a representative body to negotiate with, something that doesn't currently exist. The authors of the Uluru Statement have called it an invitation to the Australian people from First Nations Australians, asking them to walk together to build a better future. Indigenous leader Noel Pearson is one of the voice's chief architects and proponents. Really? It's not a matter of recognising us. It's a matter of recognising yourselves, recognising what being an Australian is. If, if you don't recognise the place of Indigenous people in your idea of Australia, then what kind of idea of Australia do you have? We won't truly recognise ourselves as Australians until mm. there's a proper place of Indigenous people in that idea of Australia. 
Polls have repeatedly shown the Australian public broadly supports constitutional recognition of the country's original inhabitants. But as the debate drags on, support for this particular voice proposal has been slipping. The government had hoped for bipartisan support. History shows a referendum is unlikely to succeed without it. But the coalition has instead chosen to back the No campaign. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has dubbed the proposal the Canberra Voice and is warning any change to the constitution is permanent. If a voice is embedded in the constitution, the parliament can't change the voice or pass laws to override it. The parliament cannot out-legislate the constitution. If Australians have buyer's remorse, the voice comes with a no-returns policy. It's here to stay. And yet this institution hasn't even been road-tested. It hasn't been legislated, as has been the case in South Australia, and the Albanese government has this option available, open to them today. The opposition's chief prosecutor on the issue is Indigenous Affairs spokeswoman Jacinta Price, who is also a senator for the Northern Territory. She questions the claims that The Voice will have practical benefits for Indigenous people, and she says The Voice debate is distracting from the real issues facing Indigenous communities. We're being put on hold until this referendum is done and real issues aren't being addressed immediately because the Albanese government is suggesting that it is a voice to parliament that is the only thing that is going to solve some of our tough issues, which is completely and utterly untrue. It is his responsibility, it is the Minister for Indigenous Australians' responsibility to address these immediate concerns that are taking place right here, right now. Other criticisms include that the voice proposal lacks detail, is racially divisive and is vulnerable to legal challenges. Warren Mundine is spokesman for the No campaign. My view on the voice to parliament is, is it's a total waste of money. You know, there's 300 and something million dollars being spent, which could be spent on community projects out there in the regions of remote Australia. It is built on a falsehood that Aboriginal people don't have a voice. We've always had a voice and we've had always a strong voice ever since 1973. So my thing is that we need to get economic development, jobs, uh, education and investment into those communities and building businesses. That will be the only thing that will make the difference. But not all those opposed to the voice are on the same team. Unlike the coalition, independent Victorian Senator Lydia Thorpe says the voice does not go far enough. Earlier this year, Lydia Thorpe quit the Greens over its support of the voice and now says she is representing the black sovereign movement in her opposition. She's instead calling for a treaty and the full implementation of the recommendations of the 1999 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. You are crucifying us again, giving us no power. If you were genuine, give us Senate seats in here, like they do in New Zealand. Have a treaty, like they do. Why can't we do that? What are you scared of, Labor? Hawke got sidelined by his Conservatives at the time and told not to pursue treaty. You know that. Keating tried, he got shut down, and Albo's obviously got no guts. The referendum is expected to be held any time between October and November. A date is yet to be announced. To get up, the vote will need a majority of voters in a majority of states. Proponents say they remain optimistic and are appealing to Australians' better natures to get the job done.
but many remain concerned that the yes message is not cutting through and that the debate is sowing misinformation, doubt and confusion. It remains to be seen if advocates can turn things around before referendum day. And that story was produced by Claire Slattery for SBS News. Next, we share a story by SBS News. An Aboriginal man has lost a federal court bid to access his age pension earlier than non-Indigenous Australians. The legal team representing Uncle Dennis argued the, re- the reduced life expectancy of First Nations people meant that he had less time to live on social security payments. Tussic Husey has more. It could have been a landmark decision with ramifications for the entire social welfare system. Instead, proud Waka Waka man Uncle Dennis left court reflecting on Australia's colonial past. Nothing was broken here for thousands of years. It all got broken in just in 200, uh, 200 years. So that's, that's telling us that there's, there's something wrong there. And I, I feel that we need to fix it. And if we're not going to fix it, fix it it's, it's going to turn around on us. His legal team claimed it had brought this case forward to right historical wrongs. They claim there is discrimination in the pension system because of the country's ongoing failure to close the gap in life expectancy. Bureau of Statistics data shows an Indigenous man at 65 years old has a life expectancy of less than 16 years. A non-Indigenous man of the same age has a life expectancy of 19 years. Uncle Dennis argued he should receive the pension at the age of 64 rather than 67 because of that three-year gap. Narita Waite is the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Everyone deserves to live a life of dignity, but this is not possible for our communities who have been left with no choice but to live shorter lives in poverty because of decades of racist colonial policies that have and the continued lack of investment and change in the system's institutions that affect their lives day in, day out. Today, the federal court found in favour of the Commonwealth ruling an Aboriginal man in Australia does not enjoy the right to an age pension on a narrower basis or to a lesser extent than a non-Aboriginal man of the same age. The full bar of the federal court found Uncle Dennis had failed to demonstrate any less entitlement to social security. Outside court, his legal team wouldn't say if it would appeal the decision, but did call on the federal government to act. Narita Waite again. We know, um, despite today's result, the Albanese government can actually change these circumstances for our elders. They can give them a life of respect and dignity by lowering the pension age for them, like Uncle Dennis. Um, The Commonwealth Government has spoken a lot recently about Aboriginal communities determining what practical and concrete measures can make positive impacts on their lives. This case is an example of one that could have a lasting legacy for our elders and our respected people. The Minister for Social Services, Amanda Rishworth, told SBS she's still considering the unanimous decision and pointed to other forms of income support for people who don't qualify for the age pension. Tysok Husey, SBS News. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back to NITV Radio. I'm your host, Luana Grant. Still to come on the show, NITV Radio's Birchin Tungandami chats to author Duncan Smith about his book, We Are Australians, which has been shortlisted for a Karajia Award. 
But first, Mark Olive, a proud Bundjalung man, is a celebrated chef and TV presenter, appearing on shows such as SBS's The Chef's Line, NITV's On Country Kitchen, and his own show, The Outback Cafe. Most recently, Mark has opened an exciting new restaurant, Midden by Mark Olive, at the iconic Sydney Opera House, and features a delicious menu inspired by native Australian ingredients. I was lucky enough to chat to Mark about his new venture. Mark Olive, thank you so much for joining me today on NITV Radio. Oh, thanks, Luana. Thanks for having me. Firstly, congratulations on the opening of your restaurant, Midden by Mark Olive, at the Sydney Opera House. Can you tell us more about it and how the idea of this restaurant came about? Oh, look, what an opportunity, opportunity Luana. It has been amazing. I've... Um, I've hooked up with the Dalton Group, which is, well, Dalton approached my manager and basically they were looking for a brand ambassador for um, for their company, Dalton House, who goes for a lot of tenders around the city and they're a huge catering company that have been around for decades. Anyway, so we basically put together a tender last year to go for another tender, which we missed out on. And then this came up and we ended up getting it at the beginning of the year. And I tell you what, we've had our skates on <laughs> <laughs> to get it up and running by, you know, um, NADOC week, which we launched last week, which was amazing. And how that all came about, it was, you know, Dalton House wanted me to be the face, but to design the menus, uh, name the restaurant and, you know, to have this historic presence of Indigenous food in an iconic building is a first. And I'm so proud, but proud for our people that that this gives us the opportunity to showcase what we have as in um, cuisine, but not only that, as in, in as storytellers and also as, you know, a place of significance for um, Indigenous people to come and feel really comfortable. Yeah, and I read that you love theatre and went to film school. So opening a restaurant at the iconic Sydney Opera House must be such an amazing achievement for yourself. Oh, look, it's unbelievable, Awana. And just to think that, you know, um, to have this restaurant in there and to have the theatre space just outside that door and inside that door is, you know, spectacular. And we've had a lot of people over the last week um, come through that come and visit the theatre that have been coming to to eat our food, and it has it's sort of like I think brought a real different aspect to the Opera House, but not only that, how people see Indigenous people because we will be having Indigenous people front of house, back of house, and you know keep that momentum going to get Indigenous faces in there uh, to work, and not only be that to be at the forefront. Amazing. And can you tell us more about the venue's name and the meaning behind it? Sure. Um, look, 30 years ago, I know uncle's that old, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I had a, my first restaurant in Sydney and it was in Pitt Street and I called that The Midden. Um, and the Midden, you know, a place where Indigenous people know is that um, it's shells, it's the oldest garden of uh, fish bones and just a rubbish heap, really, but where Indigenous people went and ate and, you know, discarded their shells. So uh, the interesting story about the Opera House is when they dug it out of the foundations, they, you know, realised there was 
nearly nine metres of, um, well, over nine metres of mid tells all around Betalong Point. They dug the, most of that out to actually put the foundations of the Opera House in. And the Gadigal people um, used to call that place Chubagali. And so it was a no-brainer when they asked me to name that restaurant. I called it Midden by Mark Olive. It blows me away, Luana, honestly. It's just been an amazing ride. It's been exciting, but not only that, it's really going to showcase its 50th birthday in October that, um, you know, and people will be coming from everywhere around the world that, you know, we have this iconic restaurant here now in, um, in the Opera House to serve and to, you know, showcase that Indigenous people are evolving at a high level. And the menu looks absolutely delicious. I did have a little look and it's inspired by Native Australian ingredients. What's your favourite ingredients to cook with? And can you tell us a bit more about some of the signature dishes on the menu? Oh, look, I've been in this game for 40 odd years and it's been an amazing career. Um, and foraging in the 80s, you know, looking for the lily pillies around Sydney and doing uh, going up and down along the beaches in the Illawarra coastline, on the Illawarra coastline, looking for um, acacias like the wattle seeds and the warrigal greens. Um, I've incorporated a lot of my knowledge that I've, you know, garnered over, over my career through research and through visiting communities and brought it all into this menu. But not only that, my other menus I've um, done over the last 40 years, put it all together and um, have some really interesting things on that menu, like a wallaby shank. Now, the wallaby shank, um, people are just blown away sometimes. <laughs> they think, you know, oh, my God, wallaby shanks. <laughs> but the fact is, um, you know, and that we have kangaroo. We have a tasting dish with kangaroo, emu, crocodile. So, you know, we're covering all of our coat of arms. And it's interesting because over the last week, talking to the crowd outside, because I've been, you know, go out there and have a bit of a walk around to get um, a bit of feedback. It's amazing the amount of people that, have never tried kangaroo and emu and when you and this is this is uh, non-indigenous australians but not only that people overseas as well mm. and the people overseas really love the flavor the texture of kangaroo and emu and the crocodile and yet we don't eat it and it's um, a real talking point for a lot of people and that's part of the storytelling that I give when I'm walking around talking to these customers that, you know, for Indigenous people, these were never our coat of arms. They were our food source, they were our dreamtime stories, our totems, and they were a viable, um, you know, part of our um, our culture. And once, that, once you start telling that story, that light switches on and you see a real change. And, you know, that's part of that whole thing about having this menu and it's not to confront people, it's to invite um, people to come and enjoy Indigenous culture, Indigenous food and the storytelling behind it. Last week you had your launch. How did that go? Uh, unbelievable. You know, we, we thought we were going to... We were thinking like 200, we'd be really happy because it was on the night of Tom Cruise having his, you know, launch, and which he did, he named after us having ours. But anyway, <laughs> we, uh, we thought we were only going to get 200 people. 450 people turned up, Luana. Wow, that's amazing. They flew in, they flew in from, and I've been involved with tourism for decades now, mm. and, 
you know, teaching and film and theatre and everybody from around Australia flew in for it. And it was such a surprise to see friends, um, school friends, to see friends that I went to theatre with, to uh, film school. And over my cooking career, over my last 45 years in this industry, and it just was amazing. Uh, brought me to tears, really. But um, to have the CEO of the Opera House, um, Louise, um, there to... Uh, listen to the storytelling that when I got up on stage, it was a special moment, I think, for the Opera House. I could see it in her face that I think, you know, what we're bringing and what we're going to bring to the Opera House is a bit of heart. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking time out to chat to me today on NITV Radio. I know that you're incredibly busy and congratulations on the restaurant opening. I cannot wait to visit. The food just sounds amazing. So I'll have to come by and check it out. I'll see you there with mum and dad and it'll be a great meal. Thanks, Luana. And that was Mark Olive. Midden by Mark Olive is open daily for lunch and dinner with high tea served every Wednesday and on weekends. For more info and bookings, visit the Sydney Opera House website. Coming up next, we chat to author Duncan Smith. Up next, NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandami chats to Wiradjuri man Duncan Smith, author of We Are Australians, which has been shortlisted for a Karajia Award, celebrating excellence in children's literature by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander authors and illustrators who honour connection to country and tell stories exploring land, community, culture and language. Bertrand has more. Duncan Smith's book, We Are Australians, has been shortlisted for the prestigious Karajia Award, an accolade that celebrates excellence in children's literature by Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander authors and or illustrators who honour connection to country and tell stories exploring land, community, culture and language. And I'm happy to say Duncan Smith has just joined us on NITV Radio to explore his book, and being shortlisted for the award. Duncan Smith, welcome to NITV Radio. Thank you. How are you today? I'm very good and really, really pleased to have you on our program today to talk about uh, your book, a book that encourages reflection for readers to look further into the topics of uh, citizenship and the role of Australia's First Nations people. Yep. It turned out to be a brilliant book and... uh you know, we, we, we work hard on on the words and uh, the words and their meanings and being being fairly fairly direct with what we wanted to say in the book. Try to make sure well every word sort of had a meaning or a feeling behind it. It's co-written with illustrations by uh, Yorta Yorta and Jajawarungman uh, Jandamara Card. Uh, when it was released, it said that uh, this book is a feast not only just for the eyes as well as the soul. So really a lot of uh, work put into the meaning of the words, but also the illustrations. Well, the illustrations are absolutely beautiful by Jenna Murrah. Um, I, think, I think the colours and, and uh, the, the images that are behind Jenna uh, Murrah's artwork for the book really fitted well with the, the meaning of the book and, and what we wanted it to stand for. 
So I was very, yeah, very impressed with Jen Demaro's uh, illustrations in the book. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, from the very fast, uh, you know, from the cover itself, it, the cover speaks to you when uh, you just look at it. It just uh, compels you to look and reflect. And uh, it said that uh, it's uh, one of your quotes. For those born in Australia, it's easy to take uh, citizenship and its responsibilities for granted. Can yes, you? I mean, because um, when we looked at, at those sorts of things where we want Australians to feel as proud as new citizens do with, within that reflecting on culture and history of our country. Because the, 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 the new citizens to Australia to have that passion for our country, we as Australians also need to show that passion for our country and our, and our ancient culture that, that is a thriving living culture even today. Um, so it is the oldest culture in the world and we wanted um, not just new citizens to feel that, but we also wanted Australians to feel that, that, that passion behind it being so important to our country that it says to the world, this is our culture, this is the first culture of our country. Although thousands of uh, different cultures are here today and I love multiculturalism, I, I think multiculturalism is what reflects Australia as a beautiful country today, but you still need to respect and honour and acknowledge that First Nations culture of this country. And I think over the, the years gone by that it hasn't been reflected that way. And I think it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's time for um, us as Australians to be proud and to be very proud of who we are as a country with our new citizens, but also very proud of who we are with our First Nations people and that ancient culture that we all should, and eventually I hope in the, in the future that we all should belong to and be a part of. Yeah, this is a book that I can see really uh, being very pertinent on uh, Australia Day, the day when uh, most people, most newly arrived Australian uh, migrants actually get their citizenship, those who qualify. But you say there's much more to being an Australian citizen than just having a passport and the right to vote. Oh, definitely. I think, I think being an Australian citizen should be something that we look at and say we are very, very proud of, of our identity within our country but also reflect that to the world because if you want the world to come and see our country or come and live in our country uh, or be a part of our country then we need to say to the world this is such a unique and beautiful place there's no other place like it in the world so we need to stand for that I believe. Now, when the book was uh, released, uh, it was uh, really very well received with uh, higher claims from uh, not only the publisher, but also a lot of uh, reviews that are, are really uh, very positive and very, uh, I would say, uh, yeah, appreciative of the book. But now being selected out of uh, more than 120 books that uh, were nominated, being selected and now shortlisted for the award how does it feel being shortlisted for such a prestigious award 
I think it's absolutely brilliant. It just goes to show that the, the, the comments we've received from different reviews and uh, um, from our publisher that it truly stands out as a unique book. And I think children and teachers and community um, uh, will really get a lot out of it. But for it, for it to be shortlisted uh, for an awards... Um, it absolutely has overwhelmed me. I, 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 when we sat and we were we were writing the words, and we had we had endless endless sentences, and and we really sat down myself and Nicole uh, Godwin sat down and said, you know, we really need to bring bring this book and everything we write. It needs to have meaning. It can't be just a whole bunch of words, you know, just going on and on so i think for the award people to acknowledge and show that that has that meaning that we really tried for was absolutely brilliant for it to be shortlisted i thought it was uh i thought it was absolutely awesome and and i'm very proud of that and i'm sure nicole and and jen damara and our publisher are very proud of it also yeah no no and you can catch the full interview on our website at sbs.com.au. And that's all we have time for on today's show. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of our stories on our website and also find us on Facebook. NITV Radio will be back next week, Monday, Wednesday and Friday, with more stories from right across the country. I'm your host, Luana Grant, Mandongo. Have a great weekend. <laughs>